0: I love anniversary weekend because it's like everyone else is away, so we get to have some fun. Um, So it's an annual tradition for Sally and I to do anniversary weekend. So Sally, over to you. So good morning. If you're um, if you're visiting and you haven't met me, I work here on the staff team in the area of prayer and pastoral care, and I am um, I have the joy of kind of helping to foster uh, our prophetic community here. And it's such a a joy to be part of encouraging us as a body to be leaning into what God is saying. And so um, I loved it that people are already jumping up and sharing words that God has put on their heart. And like Louise said, (laughs) I think it's only a couple more days of January, but to me it feels like... um, We're just at the beginning of the year, and I think I'm just in denial. I'm so, I just don't want to connect back into reality. It was such a big year last year. So today I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read us a passage of scripture from Hosea, and I'm going to speak about that a little bit. Then we're going to have a time of ministry, and I've asked Frances to come and share a word that God has put on her heart. So as Lou was saying, this is our, about our fifth year of doing this festival weekend, and I, um, as a result, I, it's my practice to spend a chunk of time in January um, asking the Lord to speak to me about the year ahead. And so I'm going to share some of that as part of this message, and uh, it actually feels such a long, long time ago since last January with all the events of the year, and um, So I'm going to kind of go back to some of what happened. He spoke this time last year and kind of join the dots. And uh, I don't know about you, but in the last 12 months, I feel like I've been taken apart and then put back together again. And my hope is that, you know, that it's not like one of those flat packs where you get something you have to assemble and you diligently put it all together and then you find some really important-looking nuts and bolts still in the bottom of the box – so, um, yeah, but actually I think that that is a work. God has been doing such a deep work in a difficult time. And, uh, but my topic today is actually the reign of God's presence. And that's my theme, that his tangible presence is falling. The reign of his presence is falling. It's falling all over us as individuals it's all over our country and it's all over the world. Can you feel that rain? And I've heard some testimonies, um, even in the last couple of weeks, of people coming to faith. Um, Lou and I prayed for someone, I think it was last Sunday night or the one before, and it's a sense of people who have, have been away from God or really struggling and this rain is falling on them and they're coming alive so our reading is from Hosea chapter 14, and I'll read this to you. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell in his shade, they will flourish like the grain, they will blossom like the vine, Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. And I've chosen this passage because I think these words resonate with the season we're in now. And here he tells us that God's refreshing presence comes on his people like dew. And that as they are saturated in this dew, they will blossom and flourish. So just to give a little bit of background, Hosea and the other prophets in the Old Testament are people who speak on God's behalf. Some of their messages are more dramatic than others. Some prophets like Ezekiel and Zechariah saw detailed, intricate visions Others gave warnings or called the people to remember their allegiance to God. And the prophet's messages come in many forms. Dreams, poetry, sermons, and even dramatic physical stunts. Isaiah went around naked for three years to signify how the Assyrians would strip and shame the Egyptians. So although it's easy to think of prophecy as a message concerning the future... The prophets of the Bible speak of past, present, and future. Now, as I was writing this uh, last night, I got a text from a friend showing a church notice board, um, and it said, Prophecy class cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. So that's a bit of a dad joke for you. In the book of Hosea, God sends Hosea to Israel during King Jeroboam's reign. He was one of the most evil kings in that kingdom, in that northern kingdom, to admonish them of their wrongdoing and their perpetual idol worship and their dependence on outside nations. They wanted to be like the other nations. And being a prophet was not easy. God sometimes put them through a process of living out their message, like we said about Isaiah. So Jeremiah was never to marry, and this was to be a sign that judgment was coming, and it was not a time for marrying, for celebrating Ezekiel was told that the wife he loves will die suddenly, but he's not to mourn for her. His actions reflected God's call on his people to trust in him, not in the temple in Jerusalem, which was about to be destroyed. Hosea was called to live out the experience of being married to an unfaithful wife, Gomer, as a symbolic representation of God and Israel. And Hosea then redeems his wife, winning back her love, and their covenant is renewed. Like Gomer, Israel has committed adultery against God by worshipping idols, worshipping foreign gods, and God is grieved that his people want to live like other nations, trusting in their own strengths and abilities. And it's a deeply moving story. Uh, I really encourage you to read this little book. Of a God who felt the pain of rejection, his covenant broken, but then restored. And this is how he speaks to Israel in this language of marriage. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord Hosea's ministry was to bring a radical call to repentance. Now, it's not the cliche that we sometimes have of repentance and we think of that word like, as though it's like about groveling and feeling bad about ourselves. Um, biblical repentance comes from a Hebrew word pronounced teshuva, and it literally means return. And it, so that idea, it's the idea of turning toward, turning toward God, And Hosea chapter 6 brings these two things together, the returning and the rain. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, now he will heal us. He has wounded us, now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time he will restore us, so we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord, let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. God's rain is falling and it's a rain of teshuva, of turning to God, softening hearts, drawing people of all faith and people of no faith at this time of global disruption and deep uncertainty. Now there's been some controversy recently, some of you might be aware of this, about around the prophetic gifts and some of the prophetic voices around the world, so it's good to remind ourselves of Paul's words to the believers in Corinth. He said to them, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So let me give you a tiny refresher. Old Testament prophets, like Hosea, had a singular role of bringing God's word, instruction, warnings, and so on directly. To his people. But in the New Testament, all believers have a relationship with God and can hear him speaking to them personally, right? So therefore, prophecy is confirmation of what is already heard in relationship. Now you know this, but I think sometimes it's just good to be reminded of what we already know. In the Old Testament, prophets pronounced warnings and judgments upon people and nations who were in disobedience to God. The New Testament, however, is an era of God's grace, like A.J. was reminding us of in worship. New Testament prophecy is for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. In Acts, it says, Judas Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. So New Testament prophecy is consistent with Jesus' ministry and his revelation of the Father's nature. And in the New Testament, Paul says we are many members with different gifts in one body. So prophecy is not meant to be a standalone ministry in the church, rather, it's incomplete without the added value of other gifts in the church body. No one prophetic person has all the revelation. He or she also depends on others with prophetic gifts to supply more pieces of the puzzle of God's revelation. And I think we've seen this more and more and more in my lifetime, the rising up of prophetic movements in teams and learning to hear God together in in groups and collectively and in teams and sharing our part of the puzzle with one another. Old Testament prophets were expected to speak the perfect inspired word of God. If they did not speak a word that proved true, They were condemned as false prophets, but there's a reason for this. Many of them were entrusted with the writing of Scripture, and they were used by God to convey specific instructions to kings, nations, and others, so the accuracy and purity of their words was essential. But in the New Testament, we prophesy in part, don't we? So prophetic words are subject to discernment, to being weighed up. I had an experience of just how complicated this can be last year. Um, We had a time at the river when a dear friend came to receive prayer, and as he was leaving here, um, the Lord said to me, I was up there praying in the sanctuary, and I saw him go out that door, and the Lord said to me, you're never going to see him again. And I actually sat outside of my car after the river was finished crying and weeping because I knew I had heard God speak, and I knew my friend had an illness, but it had, the prognosis was good, and he was immediately going overseas for treatment. And during that time, he received um, words from some of the most noted prophets in the world about his future calling and ministry, um, but he died. And so we, we, I want to say that we're balancing hearing in part, seeing in part, but not throwing out the baby with the bathwater and giving up on prophecy because we don't always understand everything about it. Our prophetic and prayer ministries need that environment of humility, cooperation, and grace. But we also have to take risks to grow, don't we? Um, And here at St Paul's, we want to see God breaking through in people's lives. And so that means challenging our own comfort zones, And uh, if you're looking for places to stretch and grow in this area, come and talk to me. Um, Later in the year, we are going to be um, running a short course on the gifts of the spirit. And um, that's one place for training and practicing. And uh, very shortly, as Lou said, we have our Hearing God course. Last year, that was one of the most joyful things we did in the whole year, wasn't it, Lou? Lou? wasn't it, Kirsty? These girls came and taught. And, you know, it was just amazing. It was literally like the image I had in my mind of it was when you put popcorn on a hot pan. People just were popping open with excitement. That God spoke, or God showed them things. It wasn't always through words. It was sometimes through pictures and all kinds of crazy things. And it was so fun, because that is our inheritance as God's children, to hear our Father's voice. So um, we have an image that Dorian's going to put up for us of an eagle. Is that there? Can we have that image? Thank you. I was walking in the Coromandel on a retreat at the end of last year. This is not a picture from my camera because I didn't have my phone with me. But I was asking the Lord to speak to me and I was out on Hahae Beach around sunset and I looked up and I saw a massive cloud in the shape of an eagle, and it reminded me of the value that God puts on the prophetic. We see in our underneath the um, image on that screen is our beautiful old brass lectern with the symbol of the eagle, which is where the Bible sits, and it's speaking about the power of God's word. And what I felt God say to me, and I, I, I was actually hit walking along the beach with this incredible awe of the Lord. Like, in the middle of nowhere, I had tears running down my face. I wasn't expecting to see that. I wasn't expecting to meet God in that moment. But what I felt like him saying to me was, I'm going this way. And are you coming? Are you going to follow me? The, the prophetic ultimately calls us higher. Higher. Paul outlines in Ephesians the role of a leading prophetic ministry, which is to equip the church and to release others in prophetic gifts. And so um, the other other place that we love to minister in this way is at the river, and it's a great place to come if you want to hear words um, of encouragement. We have the most awesome team there. And so um, it's another place... For all of us to come and hear what God is saying to us. So, to go back to my, I'm just going to finish by letting you a little bit into my own process. This time last year in January, I was in Sydney during the terrible bushfires. You'll all remember that day when there was that eerie orange light that filtered out the sun all over New Zealand. In fact, the smoke from the bushfires had reached halfway around the world and made it actually a complete circuit of the globe. And over there, the air quality was compromised and the streets were full of people wearing masks, which at the time seemed shocking, like a scene from a disaster movie. And I asked, as I asked God about the year, I kept just seeing this black, blank space. It was like seeing nothing. And I was saying to him, this is really not helping me, Father. And so when I came to give the message that I gave last year, the the story that he put on my heart that reflected that was Joseph in his prison cell. And I spoke about Joseph being under house arrest. So then in March, when we went into lockdown, I said to the Lord, you know, if I'd known that you were really saying something real to me back there, I would have paid more attention I would have taken more notice of you. And um, I also highlighted in that message last year um, that, this <clears throat> that we have entered into, according to the Hebrew calendar, the decade of the voice. And we're in a time when speaking out what God is saying in prayer and worship, and prophecy and in declarations was one of the key ways that God is at work at the moment. And, you know, it's easy to forget that our words have power. Like so many things, um, when you've been in the faith for a while, we can get a bit cynical. You know, you've ever heard that phrase, oh, blab it and grab it? I hate that. Because actually, you know what? We're made in the image of a God whose words have creative power. Listen to this from Psalm 33 in the Passion Translation. His voice scooped out the seas... The ocean depths he poured into vast reservoirs. And now, with breathtaking wonder, let everyone worship Yahweh, the awe-inspiring creator. Words he breathed, and worlds were birthed. Let there be, and there was, springing forth the moment he spoke, no sooner said than done. So as we came into the church in 2020, and the first impact of the corona um, virus was church gatherings closing down, no preaching, no sermons, and uh, wearing masks, which effectively muffle our voices. Um, I brought up here the one that my friend in New York um, sent me this one. I think she thought that I would still be able to wear my red lipstick if I had this one on. Isn't that cute? But you know what happened in that time was the absolute opposite of that demonic assignment against our voices. The rain of God's presence began to fall and wave after wave of prayer and worship rose up from God's people all over the planet. In my lifetime, I've never seen so many prayer movements at one time. And in one example of a prophetic declaration was that song, The Blessing. It came out, and I don't know how many iterations and languages, but everyone was singing out God's favor and God's loving-kindness over the Earth. Now, I'm not, I'm not one to watch the news. You know people, my family in particular, say to me, you know, "You're out of touch with the reality. How will you know what's going on if you don't watch the news?" But what I loved was seeing the Holy Spirit invading the Internet. And my question, my answer to that question is, well, whose news? What news? What news do I want to hear? You'll remember the tragedy of the murder of George Floyd. And that came, and it brought two things. It brought an incredible move of justice that came from the heart of God. It also brought a huge offence with it. So there was a mixture in there. But what you would not have seen on the TV news was that a couple of days after George Floyd was killed, um, local black pastors set up a baptism tank on the spot where he died, and they were calling out people to return to the Lord. And people were being baptized on that spot, bringing new life. So my process when I asked God to speak, I got to, the, I got to the beginning of this year and I was like, I don't even know if I want to hear what God has to say. I'm still processing last year. It was a really tough season, despite all the amazing things that were going on and the amazing things that happened here that I spoke about in my last sermon about the prayer life of this church. <clears throat> but I went out for a swim, and some of you might remember a few years ago I spoke to you about going out for a swim and seeing the name of a boat, and the name of that boat was Second Wind. And I was, again, looking to the Lord, saying, what are you saying about the shear? And that really touched my heart, because like Beverly here, who's been coming to St. Paul's for I don't know how many years, there's a lot of people who've been praying and waiting for that second wind of the Holy Spirit, Because there was a there was a great wind of the Holy Spirit that came through St. Paul's some 50 odd years ago and touched this whole country. And so when I saw that boat, Second Wind, I was encouraged. And so I went out um, and it had disappeared altogether. And I thought, okay, that's fine, you know, that's maybe not what God's saying now. And then the next time I went out swimming, it had been repainted and refitted and renamed Second Wind Two. And I thought that was just hilarious. It's just God's sense of humor. But you know, what was added to that? So here's my process. that The boat is the symbol of the journey of our life, and it's, that, it's the symbol of the place that God is taking us to, both collectively, and you can apply this to your own life. But sitting on top of that boat, the second wind, were these three quite grotesque, new additions and they were three carved owls and I was like is that you saying something father I can't relate to that they just and what they were positioned so that from any angle those owls could see as that boat went through the water and I thought what a strange thing to put on a boat got absolutely nothing maritime about them and, uh, but anyway, I, as I do, I said to the Lord, well, if that's you, you need to add something to it. And a couple of days later, I went away to stay in a little Airbnb, and there were carved owls sitting at the end of the bed. And so being my stubborn self, I said to the Lord, well, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. It says somewhere in Scripture. So I, that night, in my Facebook feed, someone I'm friends with posted a picture of an owl. And I thought, okay, I'm listening. You've got my attention. And so I just want to say this really briefly, and then we're going to go into our ministry time. I think those owls represent seeing and hearing and wisdom. Owls have got phenomenal sight, and they can see in the dark. So as God's prophetic people, he's giving us eyes to see even when things are dark, they're not dark to us because we have that spiritual vision. Ours have incredibly acute hearing. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release over everyone in this room the ability to hear with greater clarity and depth the voice of your Father in Jesus' name. And wisdom. I just want to say this, that this has been something that's been sitting on my heart for a long time. You know, as God's people, we are a treasure house of wisdom. We don't even know the things that we take for granted, the simple values and principles, the generations of living before the Lord, uh, the the way that we've learned things about forgiveness or learn things about accepting one another or learn things about faithfulness and covenant and all these things we take for granted a hungry world is waiting for the wisdom that you carry. So I'm just going to leave that one there for now. <clears throat> Excuse me. So our final um, image is this picture um, from a photo essay called Monsoon, which is the most famous of a series made in the 1960s by a New Zealand photojournalist, Brian Brake. He actually died up in Tarangi in the 1980s. And his work can be seen in Papa. And it shows a young woman turning her face to the rain after months of drought. And I really relate to that picture. You know, we've been through a long, hard season, some of us. And well, do we need that rain, that dew of God. I just love the rapturous look on her face. So I'm going to end with these words from Hosea chapter 10, which says, Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So what's fallow ground? It's either ground that's never been ploughed and planted, or it can be ground that was once fruitful but became depleted and barren. Hosea's call to return is a call to a love relationship above all else. And my summer wasn't spent so much with asking him what he was saying, but reconnecting to my own heart and to his heart. And as we go into ministry, time, I just want to add this last point. You know, the traumatic stress, this is the pastoral side of my work that I've seen. The traumatic stress of the last 12 months for many people has impacted on layers of earlier painful life events and experiences. Some of you all know exactly what I'm talking about, including childhood trauma. And that's my testimony. I've had areas in my life that have caused me to disconnect from myself and therefore from God. And many of us have areas like this that are numb, parts that are shut off. I recently read half a wonderful book on this subject before I had to give it back to the library, and it said this. Traumatic stress is an illness of not being able to be fully alive in the present. And this is something God is going after right now. This healing stream that is coming from heaven. Is, is in, he's in the business of making us fully alive. And he is fully able to bring you that healing in whatever way and form you need. He wants us to be able to experience his tangible manifest presence so we can dance in the rain. So as we go into this ministry time, i I'm, I'm just leave you with this question to ponder. You know, it's really simple. What space am I making in my life for the presence of God? So Francis is going to come up and share a word that God's given her, and then Lou is going to lead us in ministry. Lou and AJ, thank you. Thanks, honey.
1: So um, the Lord gave me a word of um, at the beginning of two thousand and twenty-one just a few weeks ago, actually, um, he said to me that this is going to be a year of restoration, and he reminded me that he is a great restorer, and that he, and he gave me the verse, um, Joel 2, 25, part of it says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, and so last Sunday, um, he gave me a, a vision, I didn't get to share it then, Um I'm very visual, so while I do have it written down, I'm going to close my eyes because I can see it better when I do that. So you might want to do that and just let the Lord show you what um, he showed me as well. So I saw a um, picture of some buildings, and as I looked at them, I could see that they looked like they had been in a war zone, and the buildings were very badly damaged. I could see that walls were missing, and I could see that roofs were gone. And as I looked, it just looked overwhelmingly devastating. And then the Lord said to me, I am going to restore. I am going to rebuild what has been broken. And he said to me, I am going to rebuild walls, I'm going to replace roofs, and I'm going to rebuild everything that once was, but that has been taken down because of enemy fire and because of damage that has been sustained. And he said to me, not only am I going to rebuild it, he said, you know, I could um, take it all down and build something completely new, but actually... um, It's easier to build something new than it is to renovate and restore. But he said, I want to restore what has been damaged because I want you to be able to look and see where I have rebuilt and the old has become new. I want you to see the joins and the scars because I want you to always remember that I am the God that can restore the most broken in the most devastated situations, and you will always look and you will see what I have done and you will remember that I am the God that restores and renews and makes everything new again. And I just believe that the Lord is really speaking that into into many lives at the moment, that there's a lot of um, unseen and maybe... um, perhaps seen devastation and brokenness, but the Lord just wants to remind us that He is with us. He is with us in our brokenness. He is with us in the damage, and He is the divine restorer, and He is the one who is making all things new in our lives.